What is up? It is Tuesday, January 3rd, 2020. Wait for it. Wait for it. Three. Whoa! 2023. Can you believe that? We have, there's going to be a presidential election next year. Well, presumably. I mean, I guess we're not sure. But presumably, if things go as planned, there will be a presidential election in a year. It, doesn't that really, I feel like it's, I, I feel like it was 2020 a week ago. Anyway, I'm Ron Placone. You are watching Status Quo. Hope you are well. Hope you all had a wonderful New Year's. Hope you're all having a, a good 2023. For those of you who got your resolution from me, I, I hope my resolution that I gave you is working out. I, I, I did a thing on Twitter where I said, if you respond to this tweet, I will give you a resolution based on no information whatsoever. And uh, people responded to that, which was pretty cool. I told some people to grow tomatoes. I told some people to join that social club they've been thinking about. I told some people to talk to that person they've been wanting to introduce themselves to. Um, anyway, I hope everybody loved their resolution. We got a cool show for you today. I'm going to be joined uh, by some folks. So first of all, uh, Zana, uh, Zana Day is going to be joining me to talk about the breaking news that's unfolding before our eyes with the uh, House Speaker. So we're going to be talking about the House Speaker. We're also going to be talking about, we're going to start, actually, uh, in Brazil. So as you might already know, over in Brazil, um, something happened that has never happened in the United States in my lifetime. They elected a lefty, an actual uh, person of the working class, president. That happened recently in Brazil, and they just had the inauguration for Lula recently. And here to break that down with me is somebody who, uh, first of all, he is the um, he is the lead reporter of in Payday Report, which is one of the top labor publications out there. And he was in Brazil for the entire duration, for the whole election. He was there on the ground covering it. Please welcome Mike Elk to the show. Mike, what's up, buddy? Happy New Year, pal. Happy New Year to you, too, from Pittsburgh. You know, Pitt's doing pretty good at basketball. We're now up at 27. You know, we got a big game today against UVA. You know, they're 11, <laughs> so it should be good. Uh I got I got comp to go to this Brazilian steakhouse, so we're going to go down and celebrate. Uh, but let's get to the big news, which is President Lula uh, taking over uh, in Brazil. Um, let's put this into a little bit of context for folks. Well, wait, wait, wait. To start, uh, and I don't know if you were going there, but but just to, I, I wanted to kind of go start at the beginning and and kind of give us a synopsis of everything that you experienced down there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a lot. I, you know, I gained a lot of weight, so you, you don't want to hear about all. <laughs> Had some. I don't need to hear about every party, but yeah, but but the other stuff. Um, so um, you know wh what happened is I I um uh, I actually uh, started studying Portuguese at Pittsburgh at the Pennsylvania Governor's School, which is a public program, uh, when I was in high school. Um, and around this time, uh, I started studying because, uh, you know, Lula had taken over as president of Brazil. Uh, the dictatorship of Brazil fell in 1988. Uh, Lula uh, was a trade union leader in Sao Paulo working at General Motors. Uh, he helped lead a series of bold strikes against these major automakers that were moving into Brazil to bring down the dictatorship. Um, the strikes were successful. Uh, then he then went on to found the Workers' Party and ran in several close elections. Uh, and then finally, on the third try, uh, was elected in 2002 and served two years, uh, at, not two years, two terms as president uh, from 2002 to 2010. Uh, under Lula, you saw, uh, you know, uh, poverty was cut in half in Brazil. He implemented programs like Bolsa Familia, which is a program designed to give, you know, uh, uh, financial incentives to keep their kids in school and not working. Uh, also, he increased the minimum wage there by 70%. Uh, and I think what was most dramatic uh, in many ways is that in Brazil, public universities are free. Uh, so Lula uh, doubled the number of people who could attend public universities uh, and then uh, in implemented affirmative action. So you have a generation of people who really moved out of poverty, went to university, and were very invested in him. And so like any things happens, like capitalism has its way of reacting to that kind of thing. 
So, so in 2016, uh, Lula's successor Dilma, who was a former communist guerrilla who fought against the Brazilian dictatorship in the 70s and was actually tortured and in jail for two years, uh, she um, was elected president in uh, 2010. Yeah, 2010, uh, and served till 2016, and then was impeached uh, by uh, the Brazilian Congress uh, because of uh, just you know political differences. Um, then uh, Tamer took over for two years, which was very hard, and Lula was expected to run again to overcome this opposition. Uh, however, Lula was jailed on, on trumped-up charges, so he couldn't run in 2018. Hence, Bolsonaro won. Uh, Bolsonaro, it should be noted, is a fascist uh, in the most sense of the world. word. Uh, he was a former army captain who in the 1980s uh, literally uh, was found guilty of bombing places. Uh, pro democracy, you know, to prevent the democracy movement, right? Uh, he became a congressman because in Brazil, uh, if you are a member of Congress, you have immunity from prosecution. So he became a congressperson in the 80s and was one for many years. He was from Rio. A big chunk of his base is in the paramilitaries, the militias in Rio. Um, what should be noted is that Brazil has a murder rate uh, that's four times that of the U.S. So, so violence, uh, and it used to be about five times. When I was there in the mid-2000s, it had the most gun homicides, second most in the world. Only place that had more was, uh, um, was uh, Iraq at the time. This was 2007. Um, so there's a deep history of violence there. And what happened in the 2000s, uh, starting really in the late 90s, you had these militias, which were former policemen, ex-policemen, some off-duty policemen, would take over control of these favelas, these neighborhoods. Now, favelas were sort of unplanned neighborhoods that, over a period of decades, sprung up in Rio. Uh, although, you know, lots of people made money. Um, and since, you know, these aren't really navigable roads, they're twisty, windy little roads, they're, they're hotbeds of, of drug traffickers hang out there. So there's a huge, huge, huge uh, influx of, um, you know, drug traffickers, you know, who have machine guns and you have regular raids of police where police, you know, the military police in Brazil will come in and, you know, kill uh, last year in uh, the neighborhood actually where I was just a few weeks ago. Uh, they killed 29 people in a random shooting. So, you know, you have cops walking around military police with these big machine guns uh, all the time. Uh, so that was really, um, it's created a culture of fear culture of really being afraid of people, particularly black people. Uh, there's a lot of racial elements to this, you know, 56% of Brazil identifies as Afro-Brazilian. Uh, there's, you know, the Portuguese encouraged a lot more intermixing of races. So there's a lot of different sort of racial dynamics there, but still a lot of racism. Uh, and I think what winded up happening um, in these favelas is that these paramilitary gangs, these militias came in and started taking them over and they kicked out a lot of the drug gangs. And then they started buying apartment buildings in these neighborhoods. They started doing, you know, protection rackets. They started uh, doing internet, you know, service and, and gas service and, and ripping people off, really, um, and, and creating these sort of protection rackets. And if you look at the charts, uh, and these people, these militias, have all been very closely linked to Bolsonaro. And actually, you know, I, I studied at Pukihio with, with a woman named Marielle Franco, who became a city councilwoman. Uh, she was a socialist. A city councilwoman, and she was investigating these militias and their deal. Where was she a councilwoman at? In Rio de Janeiro. Okay. And she was assassinated uh, by uh, people linked to Bolsonaro that were in these militias. And if you look at, at the kind of political clout these militias have, you know, these militias control areas of Rio de Janeiro containing 1.7 million people, right? So this is really almost like another state. And a big chunk of it is the areas where they do well the militias are the areas where the government hasn't invested in basic infrastructure and resources hmm. because they come in and they try to act like they're the state. I mean, they are cops. But what we saw in the election is that all the favelas that were controlled by drug gangs are not controlled by anyone. Lots of poor people living there. Overwhelmingly uh, for Lula. Overwhelmingly. The ones controlled by the militias voted overwhelmingly uh, for Bolsonaro. Uh, and this isn't a coincidence. Do you think they were scared? Were, were they? Were they? There was a lot of intimidation campaigns. There was actually political assassinations in the lead up of you know certain people in these neighborhoods. Uh, so there was a, a really deep uh, fear, uh, justifiable fear, uh, in some of these communities. So 
you know, to fight this sort of culture of fear, Lula ran on this campaign of uh, Brazil vai sorrir de novo. Brazil is going to smile again under me. Everybody's going to have fun. Um, you know, if you went to his, uh, I've never been to a political rally where I've seen so many people making out until I covered the Lula campaign. Every rally, there were like beer vendors and it was like, you know, people walking on stilts and people playing the drums and horns and, and man, they, they were a pretty good time. I never had such a good time covering anything like that before. Uh, so, you know, you had this big atmosphere, this culture in Brazil, you know, Lula campaigned on, you know, one of his models was uh, vaccina picanha, cervejinha e Lula, which means uh, uh, vaccine, steak, beer, Lula, 2022. <laughs> so he, he ran on this idea of everybody should be able to afford a little steak, a little bit of beer, we should be able to do all these things. Um, and quite literally, in this very popular podcast, very, very famous podcast, Lula, right before the election, said, you know, hey, look, one thing I'll tell you is, is, is that, and this is what he said, you know, uh, uh, you know, people that don't have any loved ones, lovers in their lives, I mean, that's a sad place to be. Loneliness is bad. In my administration, everyone is going to, to date. <laughs> you know, and he, he, he right. had a joke about we're going to have the, you know, the ministry of dating, you know, in my administration, you know, like everybody's going to get laid, right? And, and Lula is actually a widower. His, his wife died. Lula was in jail for two years. His wife died while he was in jail of a stroke. And he remarried to a, a younger woman, not that much younger. She's, I don't know, like 15 years younger than him. He's in his 70s. Um, and he married her, Jenga, and they just threw a huge party in Brasilia, uh, which is the capital of Brazil, which was massive. They had almost every major act in Brazil play. It was a huge party. And at the party, you know, they got up and they made out a little bit on stage. And, and you know, you know, Lula let it be known. So, so you had this sort of uh, that, you know, he was going to be the minister of dating. So you had this real culture of, of, you know, fun around the campaign of a different political vision. I mean, you know, to say, hey, everybody's going to smile again or, or, you know, Lula's going to make Brazil happy again is a much better political slogan than build back better, right? Uh, just a little, just a little. A little bit, you know, like, hey, imagine if Biden came out and was like, hey, everybody's going to get laid, right? Uh, <laughs> I, I, well, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, knowing his history, that could uh, that could be yeah, interpreted in quite, quite a bad way, actually. But, but yeah, no, I, I actually think, honestly, if, if we're being, uh, I think, very, like, kind of self-reflective, I think one could argue that that's kind of missing in the United States, kind of on the left, too. Like, like, there's sort of this element of, like, like a lot of people, I think a lot of people kind of can sometimes get turned off by by the left here or what is left passing because there's sort of this, there's sort of this lack of, like, fun. Yeah, no, there, there really is. And there's a lack of a broader cultural force, you know, behind this sure. stuff. I mean, I mean, certainly there are left groups that have a lot of fun. Um, you know, we try to throw some parties, have some fun. Sure. Um, but there's not that kind of dynamic that you had in the streets. I mean, I was there in Rio de Janeiro. I mean, the city shut down. People were dancing till three in the morning, you know? Yeah. Pretty epic. Uh, and, you know, this uh, this this uh, inauguration was particularly interesting because Bolsonaro fled the country two days before. Yeah, he's in Florida, right? Orlando. <laughs> That's where you go. When, when, you, when you're a fascist and you get out of office, you go to Orlando. Where else? In some ways, I feel like that's worse than going to prison. You know, <laughs> Orlando said. I mean, hey, there's some. I mean, when, 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 when the rich Orlando. folks in Miami don't want you, and you have to settle for Orlando, that's like. I I just I just think that's so hilarious that he's just down in Florida, and they're just like, "Welcome, welcome to the land of Matt Gates. This is where you belong." Yeah, and so you know he's he's there, and since he wasn't there, traditionally the the outgoing Brazilian president puts the presidential stash on the incoming Brazilian president. Uh, but Lula instead had a, 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 a group of regular Brazilians do this. This was never done in Brazil before. And actually had a, a local garbage worker do the job. Because uh, a local black garbage worker probably is a much better person than Bolsonaro to do something like that, right? Um, so Lula, uh, I think, you know, it's, it's really exciting what's happening there. Uh, we're going to be doing regular updates. I mean, you know, in Brazil, you have the landless workers movement, right? Under the Brazilian constitution, if you can prove that land isn't being used properly, you can go in and occupy it, right? Uh, and win the right to it. So 300,000 families have won farms this way, right? 
Uh, and this is a big movement called the Landless Workers Movement. They've started emerging as a political party. They've been running candidates, uh, and they've become very popular. Uh, so now um, you're seeing, uh, you know, these new forces, uh, economy of solidarity, uh, solidarity economics, forming in Brazil. And I think there's a lot of interesting stuff uh, that's going to be studying there. Obviously, you know, we're an American labor publication based in Pittsburgh. But, you know, as a labor movement, we need to have a sense of what's going on in other places in the world. We need to be able to get ideas, and we, we, we are stronger when we know about these struggles and we know about what's going on, because some of them are quite bold. I mean, uh, in Rio, uh, you know, there were people, you know, getting killed. You know, there were people wearing red in the streets and getting attacked. Uh, a, a friend of mine, her mother, had a gun pulled on her in Copacabana for, you know, giving out Lula literature, right? Wow. So, so is that why, I mean, they were they were kind of fearful of violence during this inauguration. Did, did anything kind of come to fruition over the past few days? That no, you, there were, there were a lot of people were arrested prior to the inauguration, and they did a pretty good job of clamping it down. But to give you an idea of how loud it was, like a right-wing congressman, right? Imagine like the Steve King of Brazil, right, uh, holds up in his apartment, and it's like, look at all these guns I have in case the government goes down. And so in Brazil, they have like an independent election commission. So, like, the Independent Election Commission was like, yeah, the federal police need to go there and arrest that guy. So they went to arrest him. They arrested him? Well, he threw grenades at them and got engaged, wounded two federal police. This is like, you know, like the Steve King of Brazil, like a former right-wing congressman who was just, you know. So there was a lot of fear. And, and on Election Day, you know, they shut down. They had over 500 points, checkpoints shut up in these pro-Lula neighborhoods. They were stopping people from going to vote. Uh, they brought out the military. They were beating people up. They were doing, um, you know, raids with uh, machine guns. They were doing all kind of stuff to stop this. So we're working on a bit of a long-form project. I think it's going to be a, a bit of an e-book, you know, probably like a 30, 40-page book summarizing what all occurred. Uh, it might it might get longer, but, you know, we're, we would love it if, if your readers, if your viewers uh, would follow us at www.paydayreport, payday report, you know, like the day you get paid, paydayreport.com slash donate. We need your donations. Uh, we'll spend it, uh, some of it on basketball tickets, but most of it on covering strikes. It's going to be a strike up the road in Akron. So, you know, this was, and you know, it's important for us to bring up, you know, we did over 20 dispatches from Brazil as an independent outlet. Um, you know, I speak Portuguese. Uh, when most outlets in the U.S. hardly covered it, uh, and here it is, you know, a union leader who was jailed takes over as the leader of the fourth largest democracy in the world promises to get the climate talks restarted, right? Yeah. This is a big international story. And I, I just think in the U.S., uh, you know, we, we, we have real issues with multiculturalism, both within our own country, but also in terms of understanding other countries. That's mm. something we need to work on. Absolutely, man. And, and yeah, and that, that's why I've really been looking forward to getting you on to talk about all this, because I know you were down there for so long and you know you and i have talked off mic just about what you experience and and how it just relates not just to what's going on in brazil but how it relates to just the worldwide labor movement and how significant it is and how we should all be kind of looking to that as hey this is uh this is something to learn from totally and i, I think that's something that, that we need to do and we're going to be covering much more international labor uh, and how we connect with those movements Obviously, you know, the U.S. played a very big role in getting um, getting Lula into office there, right? Uh, Lula won by a point and a half, and Bolsonaro was going to pull the Trump playbook. But mm. when the international community all recognized, you know, everybody from Biden to Putin recognized the election within a half hour, uh, it's really hard to come back. So instead, uh, Bolsonaro, uh, according to his Twitter, is hanging out at a KFC in Orlando. <laughs> It's like you couldn't write that, man. You couldn't write that. He the right, right wing, the right wing fascist loses, so they go to Orlando at a, to a KFC. It's just like you got to eat your emotions out, right? <laughs> well, dude, thank you, uh, thank you for all you you you, you did down there, and, and thank you for sharing that with us. And again, for everybody who wants to check out more, paydayreport.com. Mike covers labor issues all over the world, really, and especially here in the United States. He covers strikes and protests and labor news, and he's based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Him and I share the same hometown. Uh, so, Mike, before I, I let you go, I was wondering if maybe we could uh, 
real briefly talk about something uh, very, very tragic, but also pertinent to both of us because he is a fellow Pittsburgher, and that is uh, Damar Hamlin. Um, that's so. For, you know, for those, I, I, grew up, I grew up playing football for many years here at Woodland Hills, which is a pretty prestigious program. I played quarterback. And, you know, I haven't really watched football in about 15 years, but I, I happened to be in a bar when I was on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it just goes to show that football is an unsafe game at any speed. You know, the old Ralph Nader book, it's unsafe at any speed. Uh, you know, this is a 24-year-old guy who nearly was killed. Well, has there been any updates? So so for those of you who, who maybe this isn't, like, uh, ringing the bell right away, I'm sure you heard about this over the weekend. Uh, Buffalo Bills player DeMar Hamlin um, – was uh, was hit, and the way he was hit, it caused was referred to as Camacho uh, Camacho Cortis. Colin, did I pronounce it right? I've I've i got to make sure I pronounced it right. Was that right, Colin? Did I screw it up? Me and Colin were working on the how is it spelled again? It's C O M M O T I O Cortis. Oh yeah, Camacho. Camocio Cortis. All right, all right. Thank you. Thanks, Colin. Colin on the ones and twos, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so Camacho Cortis. Which basically, when you get hit in the heart, if you get hit at a certain time as your heart is beating and in a certain moment in the beat, it can basically throw off the rhythm of your heart and then it can cause cardiac arrest, which is what which it, it seems to be that's what happened to this guy. Like he got hit and he stood up and then all of a sudden he just collapsed. Uh, and doctors are saying that's likely what happened. He got CPR right away which can save you. The scary thing here, though, is they were giving him CPR for about nine minutes. A human can only go so long without oxygen. So they did revive his heart on the field. But I mean, as far as I know, unless there's an update that I'm not hip to, uh, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. Obviously, you're hoping for the best, but it's so sad. And and he went to the same high school as I did. He grew up in Pittsburgh or, or near near Central Catholic. He went to Central Catholic. We, we, he was there. Yeah, yeah. His our school was a rival with your school in football, but uh, but he was there. He was there much uh, much more recently than you or I were. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, this culture. I mean, you know, this is a working class guy from McKee's Rocks. Uh, you know, this culture chews people up and they spits them out, and you know, it's it's unsafe at any speed. I love to chat more, but I got to run to dinner. All right, man. Well, thank you so much. And uh, paydayreport.com for everybody. Mike Elk, follow them. And, uh, yeah, thanks for sharing everything about Brazil, man. Peace. Uh, All right. So that was Mike Elk. Make sure you follow him. And uh, a couple announcements. And then uh, Zana is going to be joining me, and we're going to be following the house. We're going to be following the house and uh, and Kevin McCarthy, whether or not they go for Kevin McCarthy, uh, Tony DeMeo, um, and also a couple quick things before uh, before Zana hops in here. There's a little bit, a little little inkling, eh, modicum inkling of good news. Dare I say, good news? Uh, Joe Biden, and this is breaking. This pretty much dropped this morning. Joe Biden, Joe Biden, biting. Joe Biden is re-upping all of his nominations that did not get approved. Um, before the uh, the year expired in 2022. So he's re-upping them for the new Congress. Now, there's some bad news in here and some good news. Some bad news, he's re-upping uh, Eric Garcetti, who is uh, the worst mayor in the country, I would say. He's the mayor of Los Angeles. Well, he, he was the mayor of Los Angeles up until recently. Uh, he has since been replaced by Karen Bass. He was an absolute horrific mayor here. And uh, he got an appointment. I, I believe it, it's, uh, it's uh, ambassador to India, is the appointment he got. So he's been re-upped and uh, not a fan of that guy. But why this is a little bit of good news, you know who else got re-upped? Gigi Sohn. For those of you who have been following my stuff, you know that digital rights is a big thing to me. Gigi Sohn is the FCC appointment. That would be that third yes vote on net neutrality. So breaking White House renominates Gigi Sohn for the FCC. The Senate should confirm her immediately. This is from Fight for the Future. This is an immediate release. So Joe Biden is going to re-up Gigi Sohn's nomination. The Biden administration has renominated public interest champion Gigi Sohn to fill the crucial fifth seat at the FCC. Uh, digital rights group Fight for the Future, who led the massive online protest opposing the repeal of net neutrality. Uh, so Gigi Sohn should already be at the FCC. 
Uh, without her, the agency has been effectively kneecapped, unable to reverse the disastrous policies of the Trump administration, restore net neutrality, address privacy violations, and assure affordable internet access for all. So please, please, please go to battleforthenet.com, make your voice heard, demand that the Senate approve Gigi Sohn immediately. It's good that they re-upped her nomination. We weren't even guaranteed that Biden was going to do that. That did happen. That's a good thing. But now we need to get her approved. The FCC has been stalled in a 2-2 gridlock since the Biden White House. That That's historic. That is inept at historic levels. Trump's Trump's picks were confirmed in week, within weeks, by the way. All of Trump's picks within a couple weeks. Biden, it's been two years and counting. And why? Well, one, because Biden doesn't care that much, let's be honest. And two, because you got a conflict of interest Magoo, Chuck Schumer in the Senate, who is a big friend to big tech. So now that she's been re-upped, we got a demand. You got to approve her now so we can uh, get net neutrality back at the federal level. So a little bit of good news, a little bit, little bit. I know it's a small win in comparison, but we got to take all the wins we can. So uh, is, is Zana here? Are we ready to go over to the house? Is, uh, do we got Zana? We can go live to the house, live to the house. Uh, I don't know if she's ready yet. But uh, well, while we're waiting for her, I'll go ahead and I'll let you guys know where you can find me on tour. I'm hitting the road uh, soon, actually, uh, off and on to start. First of all, this Saturday, I'll be in San Diego and it's a free show. Did you spend all your money New Year's Eve? I got you covered, San Diego. If you're in San Diego, come to a free show Saturday night. Find information and make a reservation, though, at my website, ronplacone.com. January 28th, Tucson, Arizona. Get your tickets now. That's a stand-up show and a screening on my short film, Loner. But the promo code Lucy gets you discounted tickets. At checkout, use the promo code Lucy, and you get discounted tickets. But that early bird special ends soon, so get your tickets now. Don't wait, Tucson. Get them now before the early bird special is over. And Los Angeles, February 10th, April 14th, and May 12th. I'll be working out my 2023 hour at the Glendale Room in Los Angeles, which is also in the Glendale neighborhood, by the way. Tickets and information for all shows can be found at romplacone.com. And, of course, Tucson, don't forget the promo code Lucy at checkout. Well, let's go um, Let's go over to that tweet uh, to kind of follow what's going on with the house in real time. I don't know if we've had any updates since then. Um, so this is from Sarah Ferris. As McCarthy opposition grows on the floor, Dems are increasingly whispering two words, power sharing per multiple members. Ours think no way, but Dems believe it could be uh, a possibility if Kevin McCarthy keeps losing ground. So it's been three ballots and uh, Kevin McCarthy has not gotten all the votes necessary to be the speaker. Now, the Republicans... Some of the Trump Republicans, they don't like Kevin McCarthy. They want more from him. So they're not just giving their votes. They're saying like, no, we're not going to vote for you. So it's going to different rounds. And then if he's not approved, they need to nominate someone else. Now, if you guys remember, this is something that we were all encouraging the progressives to do when it came to Nancy Pelosi. We were trying to force the vote and get progressives to demand some concessions from Nancy Pelosi before they voted for her for speaker. And the big concession we were asking for, give us a vote on Medicare for all. Let's see where the cards land. A bunch of people say they're for it. When Trump was in office, a bunch of people were for Medicare for all because they knew that would get a Trump veto. Then all of a sudden, Uh, Biden is in office. Biden's against Medicare for all, but nobody wants to make him veto it. They don't want to make their guy look bad. So all of a sudden, people aren't too talkative about Medicare for all anymore. Well, we said, okay, let's hold the vote. Let's see where the cards land. Let's see who's going to vote for it, who isn't. Demand that from Nancy Pelosi. And it didn't go anywhere. It didn't happen. Um, Well, here you see people on the other side, and they are demanding concessions. They're demanding concessions saying, hey, we're not just going to give you a vote. You got And I'm not sure what all they want to tell you the truth. Um, I, I don't I guess maybe Kevin McCarthy is not conservative enough for them. Uh, Zana will have more to say about this. I think she's here now. 
there you are. What's up? Happy to Happy New Year. I can't hear you. There you we might, go. <laughs> there you go. You're here. Is that better? Sorry, I've got my uh, my new uh, mic that my brother bought me for Christmas. Isn't that sweet? So what I'm a nice still brother. trying to figure it out. I know he's a good guy. Um, so. so so yeah, like let, let's just uh, pick it up. So what is it that um, what is it that they don't like about Kevin McCarthy? We'll start on the Republican side. Is he not like conservative enough for them, or what are they wanting from him? Well, it was interesting. I, I felt like what was really telling were the speeches, right? Um, okay. That 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 came um, right before this this third uh, roll call for the vote. We saw. Um, we saw, um, I'm trying to remember his name. I'm drawing Chip Roy. Chip Roy um, came up to speak um, from the um, Freedom Caucus. And to me, it seems like they're, they're reading the room. And okay. they understand that most Americans are anti-establishment, want to see pushback. They want to, his whole framing was, this is the first time we've had a debate. This is the first time Americans are bucking the party. We're bucking the system. We're going to drain the swamp. We're going to take care of the border. It was all your stereotypical, you know, right-wing talking points about immigration and about excess spending and about how are we going to pay for it questions. But Which is the a, swamp, by the way. Like, right, that's all exactly. the swamp. So it's like, they borrow this anti-establishment language. Meanwhile, they're just like an even worse version of the status quo. And I think that's the key. And that's one of the things that we talked about, you know, when when Barbara Lee tried to run as uh, as the head of the Democratic Party caucus and, and she got the cold shoulder and, and people were putting her up to be the Speaker of the House in 2018. And we had 32 people in 2018, mostly progressives, vote against Nancy Pelosi, understanding that at that time, the anti-establishment sentiment in the country was huge, but it's still massive. And I and I feel like these these Freedom Caucus members understand this sentiment and they're really playing toward that. I think in some ways it's less about McCarthy himself because really they're aligned on so many things um, well, that, at the end yes, of the day, has, right? It's more about the yeah. pageantry, I believe. That's what, that's kind of what I have trouble wrapping my head around is like the GOP Policy-wise, like they're lockstep and toe, which, by the way, is what a political party is supposed to be. You're supposed to kind of be in unison. I mean, not like literally 100% all the time, but for the most part, you're supposed to be in unison on policy. That's part of the reason why our system is so freaking wrecked. We have, you know, like an overtly pro-Wall Street party in the Republicans. They walk lockstep in line on policies. They all, I mean, they make it out like like Trump was something different. He wasn't. He just tweeted meaner. He policy wise, he was exa the exact same as the GOP. He was no different. A and, billionaire. I mean, if supposed billionaire. <laughs> A billionaire. Yeah, like, what do you <laughs> yeah. want? And then the Democrats, they have no policy because they're this they're this quote unquote big tent because there's no other option. So you have people that are completely politically ideologically opposed within this same freaking tent and it's a train wreck like like it doesn't make any sense like it's the most if you just describe that to a person uh you know who wasn't familiar with the united states they'd be like that sounds like the worst idea ever how does your system work and we'd be like it doesn't that's the problem yeah. it freaking well, doesn't work you said before that there isn't two parties there's really only one party and it's, yeah. it's the the united corporations of america as jordan said there's just one party up there at the end of the day at the end of the day if you look at the votes and you really break down legislation once it's passed they all these representatives whether they have a d by their name or an r by their name agree on the same things if we we track presidencies over the last decade we'll see that the types of legislation and policy i was cracking up at, at, at chip roy talking about how you know biden's agenda against fracking and oil is, is tearing the country apart when we look at that and we say what are you talking about like there was still corporate bailouts and they 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 feign about money um going oh, to ukraine while, while they're while they're trying to to bluster up a war with china right so it's yeah. they're talking out both sides but the democrats love having the minority 
because then they can talk about this rhetoric of working across the aisle, right? Shared power. And yeah. really that then they can just say, well, we had to compromise when they just had the majority and we didn't get things passed. And um, it's a lot easier to campaign and to run on, um, you know, once we get the majority, we'll fix everything again. So that's why the pendulum swings back and forth. But at the, at the end of the day, I feel like all of this separation, this this um, binary isn't isn't a binary. They're in unison, but they're in unison for the corporations, for the oligarchy, for the for the hegemonic power structures and not for the people. Yeah. So, well, what is this like shared power thing they're hoping for? So it's been like three rounds now and he still hasn't gotten the votes now. So like, what is this shared power thing the Dems are whispering about? Like, like what, what exactly is that? <laughs> it sounds unique because of the McCarthy situation. But if you look back at um, because of the vote for House Speaker, it sounds unique. But if you look back, um, it was it was similar things that they've said when Mitch McConnell was Speaker of the House and, and he he had overwhelming support for the Republican Party. I remember them still saying the same thing. They would say it's shared power. You know, we're going we're going to we're going to share the power. We're going to come to the table and compromise um, and we want to work together. Yeah, it, they always say it regardless of this vote. They're right now trying to act like this is something new. But I remember them saying it anytime they've ever lost the majority. And they they kind of love it because then they can vote for crappy legislation. Well, they're celebrating right now. We didn't have the majority. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Well, they're celebrating right now. Like, like they're celebrating everything with Kevin McCarthy. And I think Nina Turner actually tweeted this. And, and I thought it was like a really good uh, metaphor. She just like Democrats celebrating right now. It's like a team that's getting blown out completely celebrating because they scored. It's like you're still down by a ton, but you're like celebrating because like like you got what like it's like nothing like you're still. And by the way, like like no one's resisting. No pun intended. No one's resisting uh, Jeffries over on the on the House minority side. Like no one's resisting Jeffries, who is a, a bold opponent of of anything lefty i mean that guy is basically nancy pelosi the entire squad and even the new progressives that that have entered the house voted for jeffries and <laughs> oh if you listen to their some of some of the some of the democrats votes they were like the glorious <laughs> this is not exact words but the, the glorious uh ha hakeem jeffries and and jeffries is a neoliberal jeffries voted for corporate bailouts he's terrible on immigration policy he voted against the domestic uh the um violence against women's act he's um voted in favor of um dwindling um, social safety nets and cutting um, tuition for state colleges and universities. His votes have been terrible in so many ways. And just to hear him being praised the way he's being praised and it being called some kind of unity when what's really happening here, they're so out of touch with us on the ground, with us regular working people that they don't understand that right now, independents, which are the majority of the country, could be looking at the Freedom Caucus, and I'm hearing this, and we're seeing this, Ron, I know you've seen it, looking at the Freedom Caucus and saying, oh, look, there is anti-establishment people in the um, in the House and in Congress, but they're not Democrats. It's, you know, it's the, uh, they're, they're looking at uh, the, the Freedom Caucus people and calling them anti-establishment, calling them anti-war when really these are just fascists that, that believe in, in corporate hegemonic control that are that that have read the room, understand messaging and know how to manipulate the public right now into believing that they're the anti-establishment folks, that they're the ones on our side. And to me, that's the most one of the most dangerous consequences of what's happening, because I feel like for the next mark my words, for the next three or four months, we're going to be hearing about how they bucked the Republican Party and how they are anti-establishment. Which I yeah. think is a dangerous rhetoric because we're seeing people already leaving the left and, and going toward the right. And we don't need more of that. Well, I always say this. Look, it, when you say the Democrats are not for the working class, you're 100 percent right. But when you go and you apply the pretzel logic to then say Republicans are, you've lost the frickin plot completely. 
you've yeah. lost the plot completely because that that is just that is like brain rotting pretzel logic. That's what that is. That is just brain rot level pretzel logic to be like, oh, well, the Republicans are actually I, I mean, we saw it during the railroad, the whole railroad thing. They're like, oh, well, Republicans are looking out for unions. How? They all voted in unison against giving them sick time. Yeah. And, and the only reason any of them whatsoever voted for, for, for the other bill was because they wanted to just make Biden look bad. They were just playing politics. If they were actually standing up for unions, they all would have stood up for the sick time. None of them did. Republicans are looking out for unions. You're, you're in a dream world. Democrats aren't either. But, I mean, it's, it's like the – I think that we are so desperate as a society because we just have this barbaric government blatantly working against its own people that people create political fan fiction in their head. Yeah. Um, one out of desperation. And then you have other people who do it on shows for clicks. They know it's going to be popular. They know, they know it, it looks good to have, oh, I'm going to tweet this contrarian thing where it's like, actually, the Republicans. It's like there, there's nothing insightful or intelligent about what you're doing. You're, you're just hamming something up for clicks. No, and, and you don't actually believe Republicans are for the working class. Or if you do, your brain has rotted out of your freaking skull. Democrats aren't for the working class either. Guess who's no. for the working class? Nobody. Nobody. They're, they're all buddies. They're friends when, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're friends. When, when Biden said he's friends with McConnell, that's the truth. And, you know, Bernie, he's done a lot of good votes and he's done good things. But when he said Biden's my friend, he meant it. They, on a lot of legislation, they will work together at the end of the day. Um, and, and especially the neoliberal ones that you can hardly tell a difference between a, a neoliberal in the House whose name you don't know and a Republican in the House whose name you don't, or a Democrat, you know, a, a liberal Democrat and a liberal Republican, you know, these people that fly under the radar, their voting records parallel and the legislation they support is basically the same. And so when you look at the, you stop, when you look past the rhetoric and you start looking at the legislation and the votes and, and the donors, they all have the same donors too. At the end of the day, that donors hedge their bets and bet on both parties, and and they all have the same donors pulling the strings too. So we we have that dynamic. But I, today, even today, I saw people posting, and and I've seen these comments, you know, from from pundits. Um, I've even seen it in mainstream. This concept that the Republicans, at least they. Um, they tell us what they're going to do to our face and the Democrats rely lie to us about doing good. But the truth is where I'm from, Republicans well, I, lie I about getting us health care, getting us jobs, mm -hmm. getting us. They tell us the same thing Democrats tell us here in Kentucky. These um, are usually people that are saying this that are, you know, in places like California, New York, you know, maybe they are not exposed to it. But in the red states, they tell us they're going to get us good jobs. They tell us they're going to bring us health care. They tell us they're going to create tuition free community colleges and get us jobs programs. They make. Yeah, they make wow. progressive promises to us all the time. It's just not realized. And so people around here think that they're going to do good. They don't run on you know, the immigration and stuff like that around here as much as they do other places. Um, and that's true for a lot of middle America where you have Republicans sitting in House seats and sitting in, in, in Congress is that they will tell people we're going to get you health care. Every American deserves health care. Um, they they say you know you're going to be able you're you're going to be able to go to college and get a good job we're going to bring good jobs we're going to grow small business they make the same promises so that the democrats scary. make their flyers you can hold them up next to each other you know their mailers and and they'll they'll be so similar in their so, language well so getting back to the the performance piece that's going on right now what exactly do um like like have the the i mean what is it the tea party have they or, or what or freedom caucus it's the freedom caucus right that's the official so what have they proposed somebody else who they want instead of mccarthy and, and what are some of the concessions they want from him like like how is he not far right enough for them i mean i guess i'm just curious like like what they're like i know what they're trying to do like like in the kind of um theatric sense but what are they actually is there anything like 
like specific they're trying to get. Jim Jordan um, is who they they voted on, and some of the folks like Matt Gates and and some others have stated that one of the reasons that they're supporting Jim Jordan is because of his anti-war stance with Ukraine currently. Um, which, as I said, we know that they are not anti-war. This, you know, I am anti-war. I'm I'm not for giving Ukraine billions and billions of untraceable, you know, dollars while you know people here are dying without without healthcare. Um, but that's not that's not really their goal. They also say that they want to strengthen the border. A lot of it was actually said in the speech that Chip Roy gave about um, he was talking about the border. He was talking about fentanyl crossing the border, how money needs to be spent on that, that we need to strengthen our military. And um, so it's really about spending. It's that same classic Tea Party line about spending, which I'm sure uh, <laughs> Grumbine would have a whole heck of a lot <laughs> to say about this, right? Um, but that's that's their line. And the funny thing is, is Jim Jordan is voting for McCarthy. So they're voting for Jim Jordan, but Jim Jordan is voting for McCarthy. But that's the reason. Another reason is that that they have said that McCarthy plays ball too much with Democrats. But they said their main reason is the main reason that I keep hearing from all of them is that it's time that Congress had debates again. And it's time that we get out of the um, two party hegemony where they just hand a name down from the party and then everyone votes. So they are playing that anti-establishment angle as their main incentive for voting for Jim Jordan. They say that they're doing this to open dialogue to show that it's possible. And honestly, Ron, I think that they're smart enough to know that Force the Vote did have a big momentum behind it and that there is a large portion of the country that that has talked about for a long time about bucking the establishment leaderships of the party and their disappointment in the in the squad and and that zeitgeist and i i think that they're playing into that some um to show hey the freedom caucus are the real anti we're the real um populist in the country, and that's a word that I've heard some of them use in describing their their strategy here. Right. And so well, they're that, trying to pull that independent populist um, folks, some of the people that were that were populist who followed Bernie even um, to their to their side, I believe. Yeah, well, that's a term that's been totally, you know, completely bastardized in our in our politics, um, For sure. which is sad. But so you think at the end of the day, I mean. What I'm kind of getting is, is, would you say at the end of the day, this is basically just a recruitment strategy while the cameras are on? You know, considering that they have had very few concessions and, and most of what they're talking about is how, you know, they shouldn't just toe the, toe the party line and that they want to get rid of, you know, the they want to buck the establishment. They want to drain the swamp, but not really classifying other than the two things I mentioned, which was immigration and spending, which are things that, as far as I can see, I don't, uh, that McCarthy has been strong on from a conservative standpoint. Of course, I don't agree with him personally, right. but that, that's strange because him and him and uh, Jordan's votes aren't, you know, so far apart on that. It's not like McCarthy's uh, a John McCain, Right. Um, McCarthy's not a moderate by any means. So this is this is it. he is compared to um, a Marjorie Taylor Greene, maybe. <laughs> but he's not he, I would not call him a moderate by. by yeah, well, I mean, the, I think this just shows how far gone this country is where we're in, in any context. John McCain can be considered a, a moderate. That is yep. that is frightening beyond comprehension. Um, but that, oh, that's, I agree. that's where the United States is, um, and which it, it, I believe him and Biden. If you look at if you look at McCain and Biden's records, they're almost identical. Yeah. Well, Biden's a neocon. I, I mean, people yeah. like, like it's like Biden is a neocon. Like like that's legit what he is. And, you know, I, I've been saying this for like a while. I'm just like, when is it going to stop? Like, is it going to take like a literal Nazi running as a Republican and like like Don Jr.? That's already happened. We, it's already have, happening in Illinois. Nazis in the House right now who are literal yeah. Nazis. 
Oh yeah. Well, well, that guy in Illinois ran. He he was an open Nazi. He ran with the GOP. And you know, as far as my other thing, what's it going to take Don John Don Jr. running as a Democrat? If you can tell me the difference politically between Bloomberg and Don Jr., I'm all ears. Let me know the difference. So that thing that I used to say in 2016, and people would roll their eyes at me, it already happened. It already happened. So I got there to get no my left, Ron. There's no left. Well, the Democratic that. Party is right wing. And oh, and they're God, just as yeah. right wing as the Republicans. The Republicans are, have a lot of pageantry and there is some really dangerous legislation. But the Democrats aren't stopping it. They're not fighting against it. They vote in line with them most of the time. We have no left. There is no left party in this country, unfortunately. And going toward the extreme right, like you said, as the solution, that's not the solution either. Going to the Freedom Caucus to throw a wrench in the system and be anti-establishment you're just voting on on fascism still. You're not making a change. And so but that's what they're trying to appeal to. They're trying because yeah, people yeah. the thing is, is most Americans know this. Most Americans know that there is no left in the country. Most Americans know that there's no difference between the two parties. This is one of the things that I believe it's something like 89 percent of the country doesn't believe that there's really any difference and, and that both parties are corrupt. Um, so it's it's one of it's one of the most popular talking points yet the Democrats, because they don't want to and because they don't care and because they are right wing, they're not even attempting to reach that. Uh, and, and the sad thing is, is the squad voting on it and celebrating Jeffries, just like they gave Biden an A plus scorecard right across the board. They that the progressive caucus is toothless. I mean, it's it's as toothless as can be. Um, well, and- you know, the only qualifier for that is you have progressive car insurance. Not a lot of people know that. But- <laughs> is that right? <laughs> all it takes to get into the progressive caucus. If you have progressive car insurance, they let you in. <laughs> you got to be a fan of flow and then you yeah. can get into the progressive caucus. That's hilarious. <laughs> But, real, uh, there's no there's no difference and there's no benchmarks for getting into the progressive like you don't have to support medicare for all to be part of the progressive caucus for instance isn't that so freaking ridiculous like like i mean i, I uh and i know we're kind of like getting more into themes now but whatever that's okay like i i just in other countries like the conservatives support universal health care like, like like it's just ridiculous like, like they I mean, I think the most prominent thing, if you've never seen the movie Sicko, you should check it out. It's a really good documentary that Michael Moore did where like when he's talking to that guy up in Canada and the guy in Canada is talking about like, yeah, you know, it's important. Like everyone has health care, you know, like, like, I mean, we got to cover everybody, of course, like regardless whether you can pay or not. And Michael Moore goes, OK, so you're like a big radical lefty guy then. And the guy just looked at him like. What are you talking like that made no like not like I'm of course I'm not. But like he looked at him as if to say, how is that relevant? You know, like 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 it's as if the guy said, yeah, I like cheese. And he goes, oh, you must be a libertarian. Like, what does that have to do? <laughs> cheese is pretty universal. That has nothing to do like the guy just got and he goes, actually, I, I'd be considered a, a conservative. But I don't know how that's relevant. Like, it's just not. I mean, and. I know that in recent years in a lot of countries that is changing, they are politicizing healthcare more because they are uh, some of the people on the right are starting to take a play out of our playbook. But fortunately, yeah. their citizenry is smart enough to be like, no, you're not. But Don't like take away our health care. Yeah, like, yeah. So but and that's crazy because even poll after poll after poll since 2017, because I, I helped like lead some of the messaging for the 2017 Medicare for all push. The polls show, and this goes kind of back to this McCarthy vote too, the polls show that most Americans support universal health care. That's just something that's even even more than half of Republicans support it, polls show now. So people that identify as Republicans, but 70% of the country identifies as independent and among independents, it's extremely popular. And so it's one of the most popular policies out there yet not even the Democrats can support it. And so that just shows us that they're the same, but I, but they're not, the, the Freedom Caucus isn't going to come out and push for Medicare for all, even though it's popular, but they will latch on to this anti-establishment. And, and that was one of the things with force the vote. Even if you can't get concessions, at least you're showing 
some pushback for Pelosi, right. like we saw in 2018, which put put Pelosi's feet to the fire a bit. Um, in 2020, there was none of that. It was it was straight across the board. You know, AOC voted absent the first time. Cori Bush voted no. And so it's her first vote. And I was cheering and I was so excited. And then Cori came back in and voted yes. Granted, that's only one person, but the entire progressive caucus is large. Yeah, and I mean, yet- they could have made demands. They could have made demands. They didn't. And I mean, well, so getting back to the, the you know, uh, goofy little today's performance. So <laughs> if they don't settle this today, what are they going to like? nominate someone else or is he going to have to give them some concessions like what do you think will happen next because it looks like we're not going to have a conclusion today right like i think well what's interesting what's very interesting with this vote is that um mccarthy lost two votes on this next round of votes right like he's third, third round he's like not oh you mean them he's losing okay. them Okay, he I thought you meant I thought you meant he lost two rounds. I'm like, yeah, you, you mean he lost more votes too in the rounds? Three rounds, gotcha. and then he lost on the on the third round of voting today. He lost two additional votes, which is funny. I mean that that at least we got like that is funny. It's like, well, let's put it back <laughs> up there. How did he do? Shittier. All right, we're gonna try this again. <laughs> he did shitty and then shittier. But I think if we do nothing different, this is going to change up. That's uh, what are the commission? What I haven't even heard. It, you know, at least when when there was a call to action from from the progressives that people were asking them for is like bring Medicare for all for a vote. You know, right. put, put people on these these committees. I don't hear anything like that from the Freedom Caucus. I don't hear anything, and I may be missing something. So you know, folks can correct me out there, but I haven't seen. We want to be on, we want these people on these committees. We want this piece of legislation brought forward. It, all that they've said is basically we spend too much money um, and the, the border the border's in crisis. We need our border fixed and that's it. But what what's the policy? What's, what's Jim Jordan going to do that's different than McCarthy? That's what's so interesting. So I don't know what their concessions would be. Ron. Honestly, I think you might have nailed it when you're saying I, you think this is just a performative recruitment tool. <laughs> I mean, I, I think your dog agrees. I think everyone agrees. <laughs> Thanks, Rhea. I mean, honestly, like, because like, that's the thing that I have trouble wrapping my head around, too, because it's like, like we've established, when it comes to policy, Republicans are hook, line, and sinker. They are in unison. They never really buck each other in the votes. They're pretty – I mean, you have a uh, – with exception to someone like a Ron Paul or something like that, who, who I think does genuinely have anti-war views, you know, mm-hmm. with exception to, like, like him and, like, maybe one or two others on occasion. Occasionally, Rand Paul does something like that. But outside of that, I I mean, they are hook, line and sinker on everything, on the corporate capture, on screwing over people left and right, on the war machine. And they don't buck at the end of the day. So it's like, what is really what do you want from this guy that he's not offering you? And, yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's like this is just a good recruitment opportunity for them. I mean, unless there's some like really concrete, I mean, maybe like they're going to get some committee assignments or something, but it looks like they just want, you know, like they, they just want to look like the, uh, the outsider answer, which is, you know, there, there's no such thing as an outsider answer sponsored by the Koch brothers. That's like, that's like, that's like a grassroots uh, movement sponsored by Walmart. Like it's not a thing. It's not real. (laughs) So outsider outsider caucus brought to you by Alec. (laughs) (laughs) So it's all corporatism at the end of the day. And and it's all the same, but they are brilliant at messaging. And and I believe that one of the ways that we've gotten away from that fire that was generated from Bernie, that fire that, you know, people like Nina Turner brought um, is that. Um, there isn't the messaging, there isn't the rallying, there isn't the, I mean, you, these Freedom Caucus people, they do what we beg the squad and others to do, which is use your big platforms, go out on the ground, organize, hold rallies, like, like, um, do calls to action. They do those things. They're, they're better at it. 
than than the the progressives are but also they know that they have more power in doing those things to a certain extent because that's what everybody wants what they're doing who's on capitol hill well because they go to your neighborhood ultimately saves the hegemony huh yeah they go to your neighborhoods i mean it's like i, I know you live in kentucky i live in california but i used to live in tennessee so like I, I do have some experience with like like what you're talking about and, and like i do remember where it's like you know the tea party has a hand and, and also just the Koch brothers they have a hand in every campaign from local on up and they are in your neighborhood and they are in your face and they are like pushing their agenda and they, they disguise it as like a grassroots thing and it's very very effective in so yeah. much of this country now, part of the reason they're able to do that is because they have the freaking money to do it. That's, that's part of it. And that's a big part of it. But it's like the fact that I think the left and, and especially the Democratic establishment, which is not the left, but the fact that they don't do that at all, like, like it's not even close to the scale. Like that's how they're able to kind of do this, because it's like when you're just going to come off, it's just this disconnected coastal elite party which is all that i mean when you look at the democratic establishment that's all that really is these are just right wingers who just want to feel good about themselves so they want to vote for somebody who, who's not going to say ridiculous things like trump does that's yeah, it that's all it is for them right into it instead of like challenging it or or having an anti-establishment moment right now doing something, bucking the system, pushing back against it. Instead, they're celebrating and they're like, yay, there's there's um, pushback in the Republican Party. Look how dis disunified they are. Look at how, because they're so out of touch with people that Democrats right now and, and, and the heads of the Democratic Party are tweeting out and messaging celebration. And, and we're hearing um, mainstream media pundits yeah, celebrating. They're celebrating, they're feeling like this is a win. This is a loss, y'all. This they're is still going to get their person. Like Republicans are still going to get their person. Yeah. Like, like whether it's McCarthy or someone else, it's still going to be like some. Like, oh, are they going to get us a shitty person or a shitty person or maybe but even freedom, a shittier person? Like, the freedom what are you caucus, celebrating? Right, and the Freedom Caucus gets to look like badasses bucking the system up there, oh. causing the trouble, shaking it up, right? Which a lot of Americans, a lot of us regular Americans kind of look at that. And even I am kind of like, man, even though I know the mystique behind it, I'm still kind of like jealous. I'm like, I wish that we had progressives up there bucking the system. I wish that we had, you know, this going on right now. I want to see that, right? It's it's like FOMO a little bit. And even if, if I'm even feeling that, knowing better, you know that a lot of people out there are feeling it, but the Democrats are so, and, and all the representatives, I think they're all the same. So I don't really see Democrat, Republican. Like I look at the policy the person passes and their votes. You know, and to me, they're all the same. So all of them are just so out of touch. And these these Freedom Caucus members are smart enough to use because they they may not be in touch with us, but they're smart enough to see the zeitgeist. Right. Mm -hmm. They can see the writing on the wall while all these other people are like are so out of touch with regular working everyday people that they they're not seeing the writing on the wall and they're actually calling this a celebration which to me it's a loss today um yeah. for for progressive for for you know um leftist policy in general for leftism because you know where's our anti-establishment fight and and that takes us back to legislatively you know um like we were talking about the other day local state legislation is important um, so run for state houses, run locally. This this tells me again, it just sends that other signal up that that the federal level, the House and the Senate are useless. Mm -hmm. They're useless. So in other words, in short, if you were paying attention to the theatrics today and you came here, we had to give you the inconvenient yet true message that the professional wrestling match isn't real. Sorry, <laughs> we had to break it to you. Sorry, we had to be the ones to be like, hey, guys. The wrestling match isn't real. And, and I know in, in the world of uh, of political talk, podcasting, whatever, you know, you kind of have to pretend it's real. But I don't like pretending it's real. I'm not going to pretend it's real. 
because it's it's just phony. And you, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with professional wrestling. If you like that, that that's all well and good. It takes a lot of physical skill, actually. The difference. Yeah, is I want our Ric Flair and Macho Man Randy Savage. Where and are that's they? That's just <laughs> they don't exist. I mean, and, and that's just fine. The difference is is that uh, this professional wrestling, this version of professional wrestling, a takes no physical skill, and b. Uh, denies people health care and is causing war around the freaking planet. So, it, so it's a little it's a little more severe, unfortunately. So uh, look at the votes and, and read the room and look at their full policies is kind of the, the look past the pageantry is the lesson for today in my in my heart. You know, oh, it's, yeah. like, it's like look past it because they they, they do this. They, they did this with the. Um, with the with the whole Trump dossier Mueller report nonsense, you remember how theatric those proceedings were <laughs> for that yeah, whole well, thing. From then we, had, we had the impeachment performance piece. We we had that happen twice. I mean, and this and honestly, I think another connection that we made is um, I think that they saw what happened with the railroad thing. And again, I, I explained to you how that's bullshit to say like Republicans had the working class back. They didn't. Democrats didn't either. Neither did Biden. Nobody did. They all sold the workers out, all of them. But some people applied the pretzel logic. Well, Republicans were actually, no, they freaking weren't. And I asked people for a receipt and the only receipt people had, well, look at this thing Marco Rubio tweeted. And then he went and voted against sick time. Yes, he did. They, he voted they all voted against sick time. You didn't have the unions back if you voted against sick time, which all of them did. All of them. None of them had the workers back. None of them. The Democrats sure as hell didn't. They sold them out to make Biden, you know, to, to deflect away from Biden facing any heat. Biden certainly didn't have their back because he favored the, the, the railroad barons. But Republicans right. did not have their back either. Because eh, anyway, Tony DeMeo, thank you for the super chat. Uh, Ron, watch Caddyshack again. Been years. Last time I saw Caddyshack, <laughs> I was in college and I was very far from sober. So yeah, maybe it is time for another spin uh, on that one. Zana, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, of course, of course. And uh, where can everybody go find you? I, I know you're not on all the time, so so where can people follow you? Um, I am. I will start doing some broadcasts soon and some news from Bullhorn Bulletin on Substack and Bullhorn Bulletin on YouTube. Um, so I will be working on some of those in the new year. So you, you can check me out there. You can also follow me on um, at Zainab Day, Z-E-Y-N-A-B-D-A-Y on Twitter. Um, or you can look me up, Zaina Day, um, Z-A-N-A-D-A-Y on Twitter. And uh, usually find me because I don't think there's many Zaina Days out there. There's a few of us. <laughs> so right. those, yeah. those, are the, those are the places. And um, yeah. Thanks right. for having me too, Ron. I appreciate it. Oh, of course. That. Yeah, yeah. So, guys, uh, in closing here, um, and thank you again, Tony and Nikki, for the Super Chat contributions. Uh, Jordan is probably going to be back later this month. So uh, I won't be seeing you on Tuesdays. I'll still be seeing you on Thursdays, but but not Tuesdays uh, and not Mondays. Right now I'm seeing you Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Uh, it'll probably be going back to just Thursday here uh, soon. I don't know when exactly. But our, our Tuesdays together are probably numbered. Let's cherish every sunrise. But uh, but anyway, um, this has been Status Coup. Kim will be on tomorrow. Tina and myself will be here Thursday. Follow Zaina. Uh, for all of my tour dates, romplacone.com. You know the drill there. And this is Status Coup signing out. <laughs>